Texas Football Today is a production of Dave Campbell's Texas Football and TexasFootball.com. If you like the show, help us make it. Become a Dave Campbell's Texas Football Insider at TexasFootball.com slash subscribe. Besides helping us to make shows like this possible, you'll get two magazines, including our legendary summer edition and a year of access to exclusive content on TexasFootball.com. That includes stuff like premium podcasts like Tep and Step, access to all 61 years of the magazine in our digital archives, recruiting analysis, and must-see insight from the Dave Campbell's Texas Football crew. If all of that sounds good to you, we hope you'll consider becoming a Dave Campbell's Texas Football Insider at TexasFootball.com slash subscribe that's texasfootball.com slash subscribe and thanks for listening the texas football today podcast is brought to you by chocolate milk built by nature you can watch texas football today live weekdays at noon at texasfootball.com and on facebook and if you like the show subscribe to the podcast vendor of your choice give us a positive rating and tell a friend yes yes y'all from the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Mothership here in Beautiful, Texas. It is Texas Football Today, a show on the internet. My name is Greg Tepper. I am the managing editor of Dave Campbell's Texas Football, a magazine. TexasFootball.com, a corresponding website. Thank you for spending part of your day with us. Whether you're watching us live at TexasFootball.com or Facebook or Twitch or YouTube, i got to get better at telling people to watch that you can watch them all these other places. Or yeah. you're listening to us on the podcast, which you can subscribe to on the podcast vendor of your choice. Either way, thank you for doing your part to support your local mediocre internet show. I am sitting here, sitting over there at the helm today, making us sound good. She is the Duchess of the Dorks. She's Ashley Pickle. Howdy. And she's watched Godzilla vs. Kong. I have. I got, a, I got like, frizzy head going on today real bad. Yeah, frizz head. Yeah. <laughs> it ain't yeah, good. no, I can relate. <laughs> um, today is Tuesday. Fact. April 6th, 2021. It's four six twenty twenty one. There was a. This is a numbers podcast. Yes, there is. Uh, this is two hundred thirty three days till Thanksgiving. Episode one one four one one thousand one hundred forty one. This is the number of hits for Frank Howard in his illustrious uh, Texas Rangers Washington Senators career. He played one year in Texas. Uh, he is a Texas uh, Hall of Fame or a Texas Rangers Hall of Famer. Uh, Frank Howard, an elite, elite ranger. On today's show, my friends, uh, we're going to take a look at a piece that I'm going to have up on TexasFootball.com either today or tomorrow because I got to finish it. But <laughs> talking about how first-year coaches in Texas high school football fared in 2020, I think that we have some questions about, like, you know, uh, was it more difficult for t- for coaches to yeah. uh, uh, to, to? I feel coach? like you could assume pretty easily yeah. that it was, but I am interested to see if numbers are like, no, you're just a dummy. So <laughs> we'll dive into those numbers coming up here uh, in just a moment. In the back half of the show, it's Hot Take Tuesday with apparently we have a change in schedule. <laughs> it will be Ashley Pickle with a hot take. Yeah, it was. Uh, we can peel back the curtain there. It was supposed to be Shahan. Shahan was out having the time of his life in Indianapolis last night. Well, I don't know if he was having – I'm assuming because the Baylor know. Bears won. So, uh, yeah, I told him I would, yeah, I I would let him – It might have sucked. Yeah. I, I don't, uh, you I, can only I, assume. I bet it didn't, but, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I told him he could enjoy the game, and I'd, I'd take over his hot take. So, yeah. okay. I got one queued up and ready to go. All right. Uh, do we have first four through the door? We sure do. It was Daniel Agnew, Rob Hadaway, Miss Terry Adams, and Ryan Smiga. Oh. Welcome in. Fellas and Miss Lady Fella. Miss uh, Miss Terry, um, I liked her Instagram photo this morning. 
Oh, very That's cool. There's a, a little peek behind the my social media <laughs> curtain. <laughs> Flex. Anyway. Uh, all right. Uh, I'm going to have a piece up on TexasFootball.com about how first-year Texas high school football coaches fared in 2020. And we've talked with a lot of coaches about the struggles of coaching in 2020. And I think one thing that we thought was just kind of, I don't want to say a given, but one thing that I think we thought was an assumption was, boy, this is not the year to be making a coaching change. Yeah. This Ooh. is not the year you want to have stability. You want to have, um, you want to have guys who are like, they're used to the voice in the room, uh, things like that. Right. And I think that kind of bears out when you take a look at like, say the, uh, like the state championship games, right. That you look at every, we did not have, for the first time in a, in a minute, we did not have like a first year coach take a team to a state championship game. It was all guys who have been there before. Yes. Okay. Um, and I think that that kind of in our mind checks out. That goes. Oh yeah, you do not want to be taking over. Uh, you know, when in a time when you can't get together with your guys, when you can't have a normal off season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was what was so remarkable and why we went to talk with Dawoski Davis yesterday of Liberty Ilo. That here's a guy who took over in June. <laughs> And still was able to improve his team uh, by six wins. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, if you take a look at the numbers, uh, the teams that were the most improved, it's kind of hard to uh, – a, a quick preface. Normally, what I would say is who had more, who had the most number of wins increase this year versus last year. But with the pandemic and with a lot of games being canceled and shortened seasons and things like that, that's not necessarily a real apples-to-apples apples comparison. So instead, we're going to kind of take a look at both winning percentage and number of wins okay. increased, right? Because we want to have that kind of balance right? because there were teams that only played five games, right? There are only teams that, you know, like, for example, um, there was a team, uh, for example, I believe it was, um, it was, yeah, it was, it was El Paso Chapin. Mm-hmm. El Paso Chapin, uh, you know, had a nice year and increased, you know, uh, they, they had a better year, but part of it is that they won the same number of games, they just played fewer games. Right, it's one thing to keep an eye on. So I wanted to, to to look at this, and on the whole, overall, last year there were 161 UIL 11 man coaching changes. 161. Okay. Now that is below average, mm-hmm. and I think that that's that's not. There's probably a reason for that. That is almost. that is below average, especially for a realignment year. Yes. Realignment tends to uh, light a fire under coaches mm-hmm. to to move, and there tends to be a little bit more of, uh, of of movement in realignment years. And if you remember, last year was a realignment year. Mm-hmm. 161 coaching changes is not necessarily that that's below average, mm-hmm. especially for a realignment year. On the whole, the winning percentage for these teams did drop, but less than you think. Uh, they dropped by a like a, a grand total of point oh four in the okay. winning percentage. So, so if you were pretty minuscule. So if you had a scheme. if you had a five if 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 every team was five hundred and twenty nine in twenty twenty, mm-hmm. then these teams finish with an average winning percentage of four sixty. Okay. Okay. So now that's averaging. There were teams that mm-hmm. were much much better. 
mm-hmm. right? Uh, we mentioned Dawoski Davis at, at Liberty Island. They won six more games than they did the year before. Right. Right. Uh, Lovejoy. Lovejoy, mm-hmm. under first-year coach uh, Chris Ross, won six more games than they did the yeah, year Yeah, Lovejoy before. popped off. Yeah. Bay City, under new coach Robert Jones. Callisburg, under new coach Eddie Gill. Uh, Little River Academy, under new coach Chris Lancaster. Uh, uh, Sunray, under new coach Wes Boatman. Uh, Tenaha under new coach Jeremy Jenkins, and Franklin, under new coach Mark Fannin, all won five more games mm-hmm. than they did the year before, right? So on balance, there were teams that were able to kind of overcome that. Right. Furthermore, um, there were other teams like, uh, and here's a perfect example of a team that maybe, uh, you got to take it with a grain of salt, San Antonio Highlands. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Castillo took over, a jo- took over a team that was one in nine, the year before mm-hmm. and they went four and two okay they went four and two they were from a winning percentage perspective the biggest riser this year in 2021 right. but, but they only played but, six games but they actually they only won three more games than they did the year right. before so there's that i would say that again you, you guys like robert jones who took over an 0 9 bay city team and took them to a five and five year that's pretty remarkable right so overall, one thing as I was diving into these numbers that I thought was interesting is our preconceived notion of, boy, you just don't want to take over a program. You just don't want to, to be having to hit the reset button mm-hmm. uh, as right now. I think that's a little bit overblown. I guess yeah. a little. I think we probably overcooked that mm-hmm. a little bit. That it was okay. It w- I don't think it was necessarily preferable. It, it wasn't ideally what it wasn't they would ideal, want. It ideal. But... But I do think that overall, coaches did see a first-year dip. Mm-hmm. But not necessarily this huge fall-off-a-cliff thing where, oh my gosh, like like it was, it was massive. I would bet, and I would need to dig into the numbers, and I want to do this on a yearly basis and compare and contrast. Mm-hmm. I would bet that next year, we see similar numbers. Yeah. Uh, I think that overall, on balance, in a normal year, first-year coaches tend to struggle. Tend to struggle. Mm-hmm. Tend to maybe you take a step back. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some situations where, like, for example, um, there are other situations where it's like, I'll take an example of a, a Mount Enterprise. Okay, Mount, Mount Enterprise mm-hmm. coach Gabe North took over for Jeremy Jenkins and went to Town Hall. He took over a team that was 10-2. and two, mm-hmm. Okay? Now, they had a disappointing year. I don't yep. think there's really getting, any getting away away from that. That, that Mount Enterprise at this point, you're going one and nine. But the bar was also set so high, mm-hmm. there was kind of nowhere to go. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I completely – the one that always comes to my mind is Trey Brooks taking over at Rockwall. Obviously right. took over – he was the offensive coordinator, took over for Rodney Webb. But when I – I had talked to him once this season when I covered a game, and what he told me was is he – and this was his first ever head coaching mm-hmm. job, so that kind of adds another layer to it. But what he had told me is he's like, you know, I never dreamt of my introductory, you know, school board meeting – being over Zoom. over Zoom and he was like we got our neighbors to take pictures of us of my family to prove like hey we actually did this but he also said it almost he was almost a little bit grateful for it because you go into this situation as a first-time head coach and have no like it's he goes it opened my mind that there are other ways to do things that you can learn to live and adapt and if I can make it through this first year hopefully after that I'll be good well, and there are also coaches here who they saw their teams take a step back in their first year that like I don't worry about because I know they're good coaches okay mm-hmm. uh let's put it this way uh New Caney 
Brady Pennington left after a 10-1 season. They hired Travis Reeve, who had just got done leading Cuero to a state championship in 2018, right? Travis Reeve's a good coach. That's not compared. So for them to go from 10-1 and to 5-6, and six, that is not a, like, oh, sound the alarms to Travis Reeve forget how to coach. It's <laughs> right. like, no. Right. Obviously, he's a good coach. But combined, I think that you have a situation where, A, taking over a new program is always hard. Taking over a new program in the middle of a global pandemic is double hard, yeah. and that may be a, a situation. A same thing goes at Pflugerville Weiss. Pflugerville Weiss, if you remember, was one of the breakout teams mm-hmm. of 2020 or 2019. Rather, they went nine and three. They were like, "Wow, what's going on?" They hired Steve Van Meter. Steve Van Meter was a really good coach at at, at Hutto. Mm-hmm. He's a, he's a, got a great pedigree there. They go from nine and three to two and four. I think you could just look at those two records and be like, "Okay, well, something was up. up if you yeah. only played six games." But there was also going to be, I think they were losing their first ever senior class, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like, there was always going to be that transition. I'm not worried about knowing whether or not Steve Van Meter can coach. <laughs> exactly. I know he can. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing kind of to keep in mind here. So overall, I was a little bit surprised at how well the first-year coaches did. Yep. I assumed that I was going to dig into this, and it was going to be like, there were six coaches out of the 161 mm-hmm who, like, their teams got better and every other team got worse. Right. But instead, yeah, on average, they did take a small step back, mm-hmm. but it was only a small step back. And it's funny, too, because this would be – and this is way inside baseball, but it would be interesting to look at those teams, too, and go back to our original theory of teams that already had, like, a pretty – established offense or defense, especially on the defensive side of the ball, mm-hmm. did better in 2020 because, you know, or te- teams that ran more, you know, it'd be interested to look at that too. Right, absolutely. And so I, I want to carry this over, and I want to do this again in 2021 and see how the first-year coaches fare. Again, my guess, my projection here on April 6, 2021, <laughs> my guess is that it'll be about the same, although maybe a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But, I, like, this idea that, Having a new coach in the first, uh, having a first year coach in in 2020 in the middle of a global pandemic, was just is just going to be a, a disaster. Mm-hmm. That just wasn't true. Yeah, it just it just didn't bear out that way, which I found was particularly interesting. Um, one other thing, real fast, just to be able to compare. Step said we've already had 155 yeah. coaching changes this off season. And it's April so, 6th. And, and, and yeah, generally speaking. We'll probably have about and April can, starts to slow down. Step, step can correct me. We'll probably have two more weeks of coaching changes that are still kind of cooking along. Kind of step on season. Then they're going to really <laughs> fade away. So yeah, I mean, in a non-realignment season year, we've already had almost as many eleven-man UIL uh, coaching changes that we did in all of 2020. That I think is pretty telling. So anyway, I'm gonna have this piece up on TexasFootball.com about how first-year coaches did in 2020. We are at Texas Football Today. We're here every weekday at noon on TexasFootball.com. Talking football in the Lone Star State. You can follow us on Twitter at DCTF. Like us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Dave Campbells. Follow us on Instagram. Instagram.com slash Dave Campbells. And, of course, see us at TexasFootball.com. TexasFootball.com is where you can find complete coverage of high school football, college football, and recruiting all across the Lone Star State. Hey, are you a Texan? I am. Are you somebody who, like, you you are somebody who's like, yeah, I'm a Texan. I'm, I, you know. I'm proud to be a Texan. Are you proud to be a Texan? Yeehaw. Yeah, I'm proud to be a Texan too. <laughs> and that's why I subscribe to Dave Campbell's Texas Football. It's proof of my Texanness becoming a Dave Campbell's Texas Football Insider, subscribing to uh, the Bible of Texas football. You can become a Dave Campbell's Texas Football Insider at texasfootball.com slash subscribe uh, for the low, low price, less than a dime a day. 
Yeah. Like that. Less than a dime a day for a year's worth of exclusive online content, plus the 2021 Summer Edition of Dave Campbell's Texas Football, the 62nd annual edition of the Bible of Texas Football, mailed to you before it hits newsstands. If you go to texasfootball.com slash subscribe, prove your Texanness. Become a card-carrying Texan at texasfootball.com slash subscribe. <laughs> you know, yesterday, Pickle, mm-hmm. you were complaining that it was really cold in here. Right. Yeah, it's it's warmed up you, today. You feel like it's getting a little hot because yeah. it kind of feels like it's it's getting hot in here. Yeah, hot take Tuesday. <laughs> hot take Tuesday, where we invite a member of the Dave Campbell's Texas football staff to issue their hottest take. And today, I'm checking the I'm checking my rundown here. Let me just check this rundown. Okay. Um, it says that uh, our hot take is brought to you by... Well, this can't be right. It says, brought to you by Ashley Pickle. Whoa! Who? It's Hot Take <laughs> Tuesday with Ashley Pickle. You've got a piece up on TexasFootball.com, and your piece is, you know... A little, it's a it's a bit of a hot take. I want to be honest here for Hot Take Tuesday. Yeah. It's a bit of a hot take. You make the argument that more Texas high school football players should consider going to junior college. Yeah. In a uh, in in and after after high school, explain yourself, young lady. <laughs> well, yeah, I think I think this is a actually a bit of a hot take because I kind of state in there that. You know, there is nothing wrong. I, I put that at the very beginning. There's nothing wrong with going to a school to be going to a bigger school to be a walk on. You see a lot of guys yeah. go out there and they say, I'm going to my dream school because I got a preferred walk on spot. Mm-hmm. It's that's super normal. But my hot take is if it was me and me going to college, that's not the route I would take. And the the big overlying thing here is why be a little fish in a big pond if you could go to a smaller pond and and be the big fish. So I think that this really, there are a lot of really good factors to JUCO that people probably don't super realize. Mm -hmm. Um, I list a couple of them in here. And, and I mean, some of the big ones is, I think the largest one is if you transfer from a JUCO to an FCS or FBS school, you don't have to sit out a year. So that to me is like, man, if I can, if I'm a guaranteed immediate eligibility. yeah. Yeah. And so I think that this is in really the subsection of people that I was really trying to hit with this article are guys that maybe feel like, they didn't get recruited well enough in high school mm-hmm. or, you know, maybe guys who are a little bit undersized or specifically people that, you know, maybe guys down in Corpus, maybe guys down in the RGV that recruiting trails don't lead down there incredibly often. Mm-hmm. So if you are one of those guys that maybe all it takes is for you to get a little bit faster or get a little bit bigger, maybe wait for that growth spurt to hit a little bit. Or if you just need more eyes on you because you grew up in a place that doesn't historically mm-hmm. get a whole lot of recruiting, why not go to a JUCO for a year? You get to continue to hone in on your skills. Likely you would be able to show up and make an immediate impact on the field. And that's another thing about JUCO. If you are actually playing in game time situations, you're going to develop your skills a whole lot better than being a practice squad type player and never getting those real life game situations. Right. I think that that, that is maybe the, be- the best argument for JUCO mm-hmm. is 
I want to go. I, I still want to go play at Texas, or I still want to mm-hmm. go play at uh, a big FBS school, A and M or, or Tech or, or, or Baylor, you know, Baylor yeah. or UTSA. I want to go play one at one of those places, but uh, they didn't recruit me, mm-hmm. and so I could go to a different school mm-hmm. and be a walk on, or. I could go to a junior college and I could play for a couple of years before transferring to a, yeah. a FBS. And I think that the best argument would be if you are looking to prove yourself mm-hmm. that you can be an asset to an FBS football team, then there is, I think that it is, it is more realistic to show it that you're going to prove yourself at the JUCO level than you mm-hmm. are as a, um, as a walk-on, trying to fight your way up the depth chart. Exactly, that you're gonna be you're gonna be showing off in game situations, proof that you can come in and immediately contribute. Mm-hmm. And a person that I could use as a prime example for this, and and he went. And here, here's what I'm saying is someone like take take ELM Eddie Lee Marburger. Yeah. He got his he got his offer from UTSA. Yeah. That's where he wanted to go. He's he's playing D1 ball. That's where he wants to be. Had he not got that, we know how talented that kid is. Yeah. But that just might mean that people like yeah like a like a UNT like a UTSA that, that they overlooked him. That might mean that he goes to a place like and this is not a knock on them, but mm-hmm. like he goes to a place like Abilene Christian. Yes. And if his dream is he really wants to get to the FBS level, mm-hmm. he is probably more likely to get there by going to Blinn, Blinn or Kilgore or, Kilgore or, or Trinity Tyler. Valley yeah, somewhere. than he is uh, going and being the backup for a couple of years at Abilene Christian mm-hmm. and then becoming the starter there. And, and then having to transfer and right. sit out for a year and all of that yeah, stuff. There's so, a, <laughs> you know, there's also the eligibility issues and things like that. So, so, I agree with most of what you think. Okay. But I do have a couple of pushbacks. Yes. One, and I think it's worth mentioning, you mentioned it in the piece, and I think it's worth mentioning. I don't think there's anything wrong with going to a junior college. Playing at the next level is playing at the next level. Mm-hmm. And and you talk with Matt Stepp, Matt Stepp who, who went to Trinity Valley. He'll tell you that, like, when you watch co- a junior college, sometimes there are some players mm-hmm. who they end up at a junior college because uh, there's an academic issue. Right. They end a up disciplinary, disciplinary issue. issue uh, there's family issues. There's all sorts of different things. That might be a reason that they end up at a junior college. Mm-hmm. Notice one thing I didn't say is that they're not good enough. Like there's right. still a ton of talent and skill and playmakers mm-hmm. at the junior college level. So I don't think there's anything like there's any, nothing lesser than to go play at a junior college. No. There's that. Now, I will push back on you a little bit. Okay. Because... And part of it is that last night I was literally working on this. I'm uh-huh. working on a piece for Texas, for for the magazine, recruiting between the numbers, mm-hmm. in which I'm diving into the 2020 uh, 2021 signing class. Mm-hmm. And unsurprisingly, mm-hmm. there were significantly fewer signees in across the nation. I think it was like l- l- a little fewer than 400 fewer mm-hmm. sign uh, players signed to FBS letters of intent in 2021 than there were in 2020. Mm-hmm. That's not a surprise right. because everybody was granted an extra year of eligibility. Co- like you had guys right. like Texas State signed one guy. Yeah. Like uh, <laughs> there's all that. And so that's part of it is the eligibility issue. But where you saw the squeeze mm-hmm. was really in the junior college ranks. Mm-hmm. In 2020, junior there were 300 junior college players that signed letters of intent for mm-hmm. FBS. In 2021, there were 99. Yep. Okay. 200 fewer JUCO players. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's twofold. One is the the one year thing with the COVID thing of saying we're going to grant everybody an extra year of eligibility. We're going to go there, and so you don't have to worry about that. So they're going to keep their guys close, and they're like, why would we go out there and get a guy? The advantage of getting junior college guys for FBS players is that they're experienced, they're seasoned. Mm-hmm. Why not keep our guys? They're already experienced. Right. But one other thing, and this is where I'm going to push back on you. Okay. I think the transfer portal is devastating to the junior college ranks. Yes. I think it's really I think it's going to be very tough because why would you go if you have an option to go get a junior college offensive lineman mm-hmm. versus an offensive lineman who was a three-star recruit mm-hmm. out of high school who went to NC State and can't make the make the team? Mm-hmm. You can have him for a longer period of time, you can have more eligibility, etc. And now that he is in many cases, not always, mm-hmm. but in many cases, immediately eligible, that to me does hurt the junior college route. Yes. That's, that doesn't mean that it's 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 a non-starter, mm-hmm. but I do think that these numbers that you're seeing with declining JUCO assignees, uh, uh, mm-hmm. those are going to continue. Right, and that's exactly why that this may that that what you just said is exactly why this is a hot take, and yes. the reason for that is is because exactly like you said, yes, you are absolutely right. The transfer portal is hurting JUCO, but that's why I'm pushing to say I wish more people would go back to doing JUCO and let's get it back up to that level that it was at because I think that those players, like we were talking about, the ones that just maybe didn't get the eyes on them that they needed, they're really good players, and they might end up being better than that three-star that just because he lived in the DFW area was more seen and more visible to those recruiters and that kind of stuff. I think especially there's a there's a definitely a certain kind of player that junior that they really need to consider junior college, right? And especially what you're consi- what you're saying is if you feel like you just didn't get the eyeballs on you in mm-hmm. high school and that you were you were poorly evaluated, mm-hmm. if you want to bet on yourself and say. I think I was poorly evaluated. I think I can play at the FBS level. Mm-hmm. Then that might be the path for you. Right. One thing that, and I think that that's something when we talk with Greg Powers, we'll have him on tomorrow for a recruiting segment, is part of the conversations he has with with parents is you've got to know who you are and mm-hmm. the kind of player that you are, right? right? There are other players that if you get an offer from Abilene Christian, mm-hmm. you sh- you should go. You yes. should take it because mm-hmm. you are probably not, I'm not trying to be mean, you're probably not an FBS player. Right. And even if you go to the junior college route, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to get picked up right. there. If you have an opportunity to go and play at the FCS level, at the Division two level, heck, at Mary Harden Baylor at the Division three level, mm-hmm. you should go and do that. Mm-hmm. But if you are a player and you're like, you know what, I'm going to bet on myself, mm-hmm. I think that I'm an FBS player. Then and you may be better served saying, you know what, I'm going to go to Kilgore for a couple of years, right? And I'm going to prove myself, and then I'm going to sign with whoever. And I really, really feel that way for guys too that are just undersized because yeah. we see that so often in the Texas high school football ranks. Of these, this guy has unbelievable speed, or yeah. he's got unbelievable power when he runs, and he's he's almost there. He's almost there, but you, like. How about this? How about maybe uh, Kendrick Cobbs out of Denton Geyer last year? Yeah. It was like he was a talent that we're going, why is no one recruiting him? And you look and it's like, man, he's just a little bit undersized. So go there, put in the effort to to put on the weight, to do all that. And you know what? If then you end up transferring, you end up going to a UTSA or, you know, some – 
even an FCS level team, then okay. But you can say that you use those two years. And the one other thing that I would be really remiss if I didn't bring up, and I did put this in an article, is the other thing about JUCO that is so great is the fact that scholarship money should be – I. how did I put that? Um – Scholarship money should be considered sweet music to anyone's ears. Yeah. You can go to these JUCOs and you can get some scholarship money yeah. out of them. If you go be a walk-on, that's the part of being the walk-on. Mm-hmm. You don't have a scholarship. Right. So in my mind, especially if you're going to go knock, like from a college perspective, if you're going to yeah. go knock out some basic courses, go play football, go get paid to do it, knock out the basic courses, bit, yeah. and then transfer. So like right. that's another off-the-field type of thing, but well, a big all, I mean, bonus. Look, and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to get into this, but, like, for example, I don't know about you, but, mm-hmm. like, when I was in high school and stuff like that, I went and I did some courses at junior college, at, at community college, yeah. at junior colleges, because I wanted to go and knock out some of the prerequisites so that when you get to college, you're, you know, it, maybe you're not put on a full scholarship. It's not here nor there. That's not here. But right. point is, you're right. I think that for a certain player, they do need to give junior college a, 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 a hard look mm-hmm. and say – is that the path I want to go down? Mm-hmm. It's not going to be for everybody. Right. But I think that you're right. I think that there are fewer players who are looking at it than should be. I think, yeah, there is a bigger picture of yeah. being able to almost take your pride out of it a yeah. little bit yeah. and see the grander scale of things yeah. rather than just hear, oh, you're going to play Juco ball, right. you know? It's hot, so. take, it's hot Take Tuesday. The piece on TexasFootball.com from our own Ashley Pickle. More Texas high school football players should consider Juco. Good, good take. Thank you. Good take, Pickle. Thanks. Good take. And now we go back to Ashley Pickle. <laughs> More Pickle. That's Great. what the people want. For America's second favorite segment, it's Final Thoughts. Um, so real fast again, there was Rob Hathaway asked if you could show the name of the book because yeah. a lot of people are interested it's in really your book. really good book. Okay, here it's called Strong Towns Strong by Chuck Towns. Marone. Uh, M-A-R-O-H-N. It's Charles L. Marone. M-A-R-O-H-N. Strong Towns. Uh, a bottom-up revolution to rebuild American prosperity. I loved this book. It was, and I'm not a guy who's like super into city planning, but like I thought this book was fascinating and will make you like when you're driving around towns, you're going to be thinking like, "Oh boy, what a oh what's this?" Like it's it, it makes you think in 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 a way that you you necessarily you didn't necessarily. Uh, so it's Chuck Marone. M-A-R-O-H-N. And then the uh, the YouTube channel is not just bikes. That's where I found out about this book before. Uh, so uh, make sure you go check that out. I got I just I just read through the comments about the hot take and there's one thing that I didn't even think about that Matthew McSpadden brought up. Juco would be a really good route for six man players. Absolutely. That want, want to, talk to about- learn how to do like like Ben Crockett. Mm-hmm. Or Yeah. You want to talk about yeah. guys who may in fact be FBS players mm-hmm. but just flat out don't get enough looks. Yeah. Like they just don't get enough looks. Part of it is because they like I've had I've had long rants about how I think Texas six man football is unfairly othered, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, that's a perfect example. Yeah, six I missed. Players, I didn't even think about that. Six man players, especially like, prove that you can play the eleven man game, mm-hmm. and then when you blow up and yeah. prove to everybody, then it's like, oh well, then you're going to be you know, you're, then that's when Louisiana Tech's going to come calling. And exactly. Saying, you play for us. Yes. Yeah. I think that's sorry. I, mean, I had to shout that one out. That was a great point I that I didn't even think about to put in my article, point, especially from the six man perspective. Yeah. So All there right. we go. That's going to do it for us. Thanks for spending a little bit of your day with us. Follow us on Twitter at DCTF. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Dave Campbells. Follow us on Instagram, instagram.com slash Dave Campbells. And, of course, see us at texasfootball.com. For Ashley Pickle, I'm Greg Tepper. Vince Young, please meet your Player of the Year trophy. We'll see you tomorrow. Texas football. Today. Today. <laughs>